Hello and welcome back to Chap Chaplain Chad's podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Jonah. For the next four weeks we'll be thinking about Jonah, we'll be preaching on Jonah, and we'll be talking about Jonah. Jonah is an interesting uh, character. His book uh, is a, a summary of a one-term missionary. Uh, what I mean by that is that he went on one mission trip some would consider him to be a success and some would consider him to be a failure and the reason why they would consider him to be a failure is due to the title that we have given this book Jonah the running prophet we will see in the next four chapters that Jonah is running either from or to something and today we're going to look at Jonah running from God Some would consider him a failing prophet or a failed prophet because he ran from God. I think we can all find ourselves running from God at one point or another in our lives. Uh, And some people would consider him to be a successful prophet because his message did bring salvation to his enemies, the Ninevites. With that being said, let's look at chapter 1 of Jonah. We have titled this Running Away from God, and we're going to see three actions of God. We're going to see God's summoning of Jonah, God's sovereignty with Jonah, and then uh, God's salvation to Jonah. In verses 1 through 3, we see God's summoning. It says, Now the word of the Lord uh, came to Jonah, the son of Abinadi, saying, Arise, and go to Nineveh, a great city, and cry out against it, or preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish uh, from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and found a ship going down to Tarshish, and he paid a fare, and he went down into it, that is the boat, uh, to them, uh, to go with them to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Uh, he received his call to ministry at age 16. Not Jonah, another guy. Another woman uh, felt she was called uh, to work with disabled women or children in Africa. For most of us, the call of God is associated uh, with ministers and missionaries. Not, uh, not the sort of thing that touches the life of so-called ordinary Christians. Well, Pastor and Dr. Tim Keller disagree. Uh, the call of God on every, the call of God on the life of every believer is absolutely necessary, and in a, any quick search of the Scriptures, will back this up. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter two, verse fourteen, Paul tells us that God calls us to a salvation. When we are told, uh, then we are told to tell the good news. Now we can share the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If God could find Adam hiding in the garden, or if God could find Adam, the only living human being at the time, and make a wife for him, then God can do anything. Hebrews Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says this, Tell us us that 
God who at various times and in various ways spoke to uh, spoke in past times to our fathers by the prophets and in these last days has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things the Lord told me is not uh, a substitute for what the Bible says the phrase the word of the Lord came to Jonah literally means became it's it means uh, it's a resemblance of what John chapter 1 verse 14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory in the glory of the only begotten one of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we read the phrase, the word of the Lord came, it was so vivid that it knocked the socks off of Jonah. God was calling Jonah to go and to preach the gospel. He was telling them, he was calling him to preach to his enemies. Our call to salvation is to call is a call to follow him and share the message of the good news of Jesus, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2. Uh, Paul uh, tells us again that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Uh, the duty of the ambassador is not to speak the ambassador's opinion. The job of the ambassador is to convey the thinking and the point of view of the country that has appointed him or her uh, to who is rep, who he is representing. Uh, he or she may disagree with the thoughts and the views of the country that they are representing, but that doesn't matter. The duty of the ambassador is to deliver the message which has been given. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 verse 14 that I am obligated to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the good news or the gospel to those who are in Rome. Paul says, just as Jonah was called to his enemies, so we are called sometimes to our enemies. Being called by God as an ambassador, a prophet, a preacher, or just what we would consider an ordinary pew-sitting Christian is not just a call to necessarily be comfortable in life. God does not call us to be comfortable, but rather to be on mission for and with Him. Sometimes God calls us uh, to confront those who are in sin. And sometimes it's an individual that we must confront. Sometimes it's a nation. Sometimes it's a group of deacons. Unfortunately, Jonah, uh, unfortunately, a Jonah lurks in all of our hearts, whimpering our insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. We like where we are. We don't want no one to come into our church. We don't want anyone to come into the Christian fold who may have different thoughts or beliefs than we do. <clears throat> According to 4,000 years of history, all the major superpowers and empires saw the destruction after around their 250th birthday. Cal Thomas, uh, from his study uh, of Sir John Baggett Glubb in 1897 through 1997, uh, Cal Thomas used his research to write a book called America's Expiration Date. What he found was that each of the great empires and superpowers of the world followed a certain pattern. As a pattern uh, went like this, an age of pioneers, an age of conquest, an age of commerce, an age of affluence, an age of intellect, 
and finally the stage of decadence. The, those superpowers, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Arab Empire, the Spanish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, and the Roman Empire all followed those same patterns. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 1.9, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Abraham, uh, Jonah was called to go and to preach against Nineveh. He was called to preach against the sin of their wickedness that rose to the nose of God. Jonah was, was called to confront a nation, his enemies. Again, Charles Spurgeon said that he is astonished at the number of Christians who were afraid or are afraid to speak the truth to their brethren. In this chapter, we're going to also see three very important lessons. One, God has, God calls his people into service. He doesn't just call ministers and preachers he, and missionaries. He doesn't just call Sunday school teachers and deacons. But he calls you who sit in the pew to go and to share the gospel. He calls you to join him in the glory of of his ministry. Not only that, but God cares enough about sinners to send the word of hope, love, and grace to even what we would consider to be the worst of sinners. <clears throat> and finally, no one can run from God. God summons all of us to join him on the mission of salvation to the world. Secondly, in verses 4 through 10, actually 4 through 16, we're going to see God's sovereignty. Verse 4 says, When the Lord set out, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was about to be broken up, and then the mariners were afraid, and everyone, every man cried out to his God, and they threw their cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, and he had laid down and fall, and was fast asleep. So the captain of the ship said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that it may be known to us who caused this trouble has come upon us. And they cast lots, and they fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for, though, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And whose, what is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of what people are you? So he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this to us? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do with you, that the sea may be calm for us? And the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will, will become calm for you. 
For I know that I that the great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to be, to return to land, and they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, "We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you." So they picked up Jonah and they threw him in the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice of the Lord uh, to the Lord, and they took vows. The sovereignty of God uh, means the same as the lordship of God. For God is sovereign over all creation. He is the Lord. He's the owner. He's the master. The major components of God's lordship is his control, his authority, his covenantal presence. The divine name Yahweh expresses his sovereign rule over and against the claims of such human kings such as Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. Notice that in these passages that we just read, these scriptures that we just read, you saw the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters, which is God's divine personal name, Yahweh. The word sovereignty is rarely found in recent translations of scriptures or the newer translations, but it represents an important concept. The sovereign, a sovereign is a ruler. He's a king. He's a lord. And the scriptures often refer to God as the ruler overall. His most common and proper name again is Yahweh, Lord, Jehovah, is regularly translated Lord in the English Bible. It is found over 7,000 times as a name of God and specifically for the name of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you go to Romans chapter 10 verse 13, it says, Whoever uh, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, that is saying that he is God. Sovereignty embodies uh, effectual. It's nothing can prevent him from accomplishing his 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 purpose. It embodies control. It means presence. In Scripture, Yahweh takes his people to be his own. And when God takes people to be his own, he fights for them, he redeems them, and he blesses them. And God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. He was going to control the situation. God is going to get what he wants, whether we fight and scream or we go peacefully. We see this sovereignty in the term sent. God sent, but the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Uh, elsewhere, that word is, is, is defined as someone who hurls a spear. Our Lord created the heavens and the earth, the seas and the oceans. The Lord also calmed the seas in Matthew and at Matthew eight verses twenty three through twenty seven and Mark four thirty five through forty one. The Lord controls all things, and because He has the power, He controlled whether a storm would come or not, and He hurled a storm. He through a storm. He sent a storm. The Hebrew makes it clear that the emphasis is on God's actions over and against Jonah's. Jonah 
got up and he ran against God and God is controlling and putting other actions in place. In verse in the Hebrew, verse 3 ends with Yahweh and verse 4 begins with Yahweh. Isn't that an interesting way that God is going to show us his control? In the ancient Near East, and to be honest with you, we see this in missionary endeavors all the time. That the ancient Near East believed that gods created order by defeating the powers of chaos. A storm that God sovereign, the storm that God sovereignly brought about caused great fear and caused them to earnestly seek gods, their gods. The rabbinic idea or the rabbinic um, belief is that these sailors were 70 in number and they represented a plurality of gods. Notice that the scripture says that they pray to their gods. Uh, not only was there one God that they prayed to, but they all prayed to many gods. Remember one of the downfalls of the major empires or the empires that we talked about earlier was um, decadence. Uh, the growth of wealth and comfort clearly undermined the values of character such as self-sacrifice and discipline, which led to the empire's creation. And then once they got affluent and they got wisdom or knowledge or intellect, they became decadent. They forgot their character. They forgot their self-sacrificing and their discipline. And they all sought what was good for them and not for the better good. The empire, so affected by this moral decline, grows weaker and more vulnerable to destruction. It is not surprising that the Bible warns that the ancient Israelites against departing from worshiping him once they became materially satisfied after leaving the promised land. After getting into the promised land, the ship pictures for us that of pluralism. We in America deal with pluralism. We in America believe that there's a freedom of religion, and that is the case. But the problem with that is everybody has their own moral rights, their own moral values. There is no <clears throat> objective morality. It's unfortunate that many Christians will not follow their calling <clears throat> from God and share the gospel. Barna says that, 95 to 97% of believers believe that it is their duty to share Jesus. Unfortunately for the millennials, uh, they're unsure about the practice of evangelism. Yet 47% of millennials believe that it is wrong for Christians to share one's personal beliefs with someone of another faith. Compared to Gen Xers who are at 27%, Boomers who are at 19%, and elders at 20%. God called Jonah. He sent Jonah. And in his sovereignty, he is going to help Jonah to share the gospel. Jonah falls, in, uh, falls into this statistic. He was not evangelizing. He ran from God. He ran from Nineveh and he ran down into the boat. Yet his shipmates were fearful and praying to their God. We read in Acts chapter 17 that Paul... <clears throat> was preaching to the people who were pluralists. 
They served many gods and even had a statue to an unknown god. Paul used that unknown god to tell them about the one true God, Jesus. Everywhere we have sent missionaries and every people group that we have found all have worship a worship system. Some will tell us stories uh, that are similar to the Christian scriptures. Uh, others will say that they are worshiping this God because they are waiting to because they know that their ancestors ticked off that God and they're trying to get back to the one true God. God's hand was so visible that even the pagans saw that saw it. Yet Jonah was blinded by his hatred for his enemy nation. His patriotism colored his devotion to his God. Uh, Tim Kimball says, There's a difference between people who tell uh, the work of the gospel and those who live the work of the gospel. And John MacArthur says it this way, It means absolutely nothing to profess Jesus if our life does not back it up. God is working to make things His way. He sent a storm. Finally, we see God's salvation. In the midst of running from God, hearing His voice, and confessing uh, of His hand in the storm, and even confessing uh, His sin to the sailors, God was not finished with Jonah. Jonah realized that he cannot treat people like garbage and worship God at the same time. Paul reminds us that for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people in Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and 1 Timothy 1:15 we're told that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all accepting that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief in the ESV grace is 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 is, is translated for us 150 times both throughout the New and the Old Testament grace technically means unmerited favor it, it, it means that we receive something that we're not necessarily worthy of we have not reached a state of perfection our sinfulness touches every part of our humanity in the greatness of missionary claim of the greatest uh, if the greatest missionary claim to be the chief uh, missionary claimed to be and that's Paul claimed to be the chief of sinners where does that place us and Paul in Romans 7:24 says oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death notice that in the salvation we read in verse 17, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God in his sovereignty prepared and showed us grace. Showed Jonah grace. Shows us great grace. If we are a wretched sinner, if we are sinful in our human being, and we are not merited grace by what we deserve. And how much more do we see God's salvation? In the midst of Jonah not wanting to deliver a redeeming message to his enemies, yet instead running from God, God's life-giving message, he seeks to end his own life. Not just once in this book, but as we'll see in chapter 4, he wants to end it again. 
only to find grace in the grip of an escaping in, in, in the grip of escaping from God. Even when we seek to hide from God, he knows where we are. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned and he was hiding from God, God says, where are you, Adam? He knew where Adam was at. In Psalm 139, we're reminded that we cannot go away from God. We cannot escape his presence. We live because of God's grace. Israel remains today because of God's grace. This grace of God was not his plan B. Many think that God did not know that man would choose to sin, and the moment that he did, God created a plan B. Rather, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.20 that he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifested in his last days. And in, Roman, in Revelation 13.8, uh, 13, uh, Revelation 13.8 says, and all that dwelt upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. Also, also our salvation, the salvation of those who, who believe, is not God, it is God's plan A. Having received the salvation, uh, some have tried to receive the salvation yet escape the calling that God has placed on their life. The message is too hard to preach. The mission is too hard to bear. Personally, the hardest thing that I have ever done was to get married. The second hardest thing, which continues to this day, has been to go into ministry. It's an ongoing battle. Sometimes it's 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 hard in confronting someone who is caught in sin. Sometimes it, it is being slow uh, is slowing an angry anger outburst of a mob of deacons before taking the biblical steps of redemption of someone in our church. At other times it is struggling to remember that I am a pawn in the hands of God and at any time my timetable is not God's timetable. Jonah was summoned by a sovereign God to preach a message of salvation to his enemies. Instead he thought, he thought that he could outrun out hide and take his own life instead of being a conduit of God's grace. God will get what he wants. He wants you. He wants me. He wants our enemies worshiping him. Uh, let me in with this phrase. In the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The, the number three is the first of four so-called perfect numbers. Three means divine perfection. It was on the third day of creation that God separated the waters and the earth. There were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, three times the seraphim cried, Holy, 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 Isaiah 6, 3, and Revelation 4, 8. Jesus' ministry covered three Passover periods. Believers are baptized in the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Our God is a trinity. Jesus was dead in the tomb for three days. I'm not saying that our salvation is a three-day process. What I am saying is that there must be something significant about Jonah being in the tomb. I mean, belly of a fish for three days. 
It was uh, the consummation of his fish belly theology. Uh, next week, we will give a systematic view of his fish belly theology that compelled him to preach the message of salvation to his enemy. In conclusion, what is God calling you to? Is he calling you to more than just a verbal salvation? Is he calling you to a deeper relationship with him? Is he calling you to something greater than yourself? Is he calling you to become more involved in church and ministry and missions? Do you see God's sovereignty into your life? Where is he directing you? What has he placed in your life this week, last week, these last eight months? How do you see God moving in your life? Our salvation is not for us alone. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the shining light on the mountain. We are to be the salt of the earth. Have you thanked Jesus for it lately? Have you shared the blessings of your salvation, how you rid yourself of guilt through the grace of God? As we continue our study in Jonah, I hope that we don't find ourselves running from God, but rather running to God. May God bless you and keep you.